Today we're kicking off a brand new series. If you're new here, uh, we're just so thankful that you've taken this day to, to be with us and uh, to join us. Pray that you, you have an opportunity to grow in your faith today and, and, and grow in family as well in the body of Christ. And uh, like I said, we're kicking off a brand new series called Christmas Kaleidoscope. Any of you guys ever have a kaleidoscope? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's the little toy. It's got the tube. Uh, do you know how those work? Anybody know how those work? Right, it's a tube, and, and there's mirrors on all, on all the sides there, and each of them have different colors to them. Some of them are made up a little bit differently, and there's like little shapes and stuff at the end, kind of the more childlike ones are kind of like that. You guys know what I'm talking about. And then you turn it, and every time you turn it, it, it creates some new patterns. It's, it's always the same colors and shapes, but they take on a new piece of art. And as we dive in today, it really began to make me think about a kaleidoscope as we go into the Advent, the Christmas season, Um, because I love this season. I really do. I know some of you are like hardcore fans of Christmas. Anybody in here? Like I'm one of those people that started listening in October, right? Yeah, I know you're, there you are. Um, um, But as I have kind of a, a, a different side of this season, that's a little bit tougher for me. Um, and it's really the preaching. Like, the preaching's really hard for me in this season. I always, like, struggle with it as I go into it, like, preparing throughout the year, like, for this season. Because I, it's kind of the same stories, you know? It, it's like, you know, you got the Magi, and you got the shepherds, and you got the birth of Jesus, and the angels coming to see Joseph and Mary, and and in my, I feel like my role is always to bring a fresh perspective on that. And so the more years that go by, I'm not going to rinse and reuse, as my father-in-law says. Like, oh, message, I want to bring a, a fresh perspective. I want to take these same mirrors, these same stories, these same glimpses that we've been given from the prophets into the New Testament accounts of Jesus' birth and, and just turn the lens. And so we, we've got the same stories, but we're seeing a fresh perspective on the coming of Christ to the earth. And, and today, I particularly want to look at that from a different angle, a different mirror that we see in God coming to this earth. Uh, and, and to do that, I want to go to Revelation chapter 4. See, I told you it was going to be a different place today. So Revelation chapter 4. Uh, some of you in the room, when I said we're going to turn to Revelation, like you tensed up a little bit because you're like, what? Revelation? Like, I don't, that one weirds me out. Like, let's pick another one. Like, let's talk about baby Jesus. Like, that doesn't weird me out, <laughs> you know. But I, I want to talk about Revelation today. And, and we've, I think we, we've really... We get it out of context and we get it out of perspective on really um, what took place here and really how it's to be used for us today. Uh, A lot of us would say, if you've ever flipped into the book of Revelation, you're like, oh, that's confusing or that's strange or I don't understand it. And there's a reason why you don't understand it um, because there's symbols and imagery that are not from the 21st century. And there's symbols and imagery that are not from American culture that we don't understand, right? If, if um, we were to talk about the war in America, donkeys versus elephants, you know what I'm talking about. We're talking about the political landscape that we live in. You know those symbols, but when we look into Revelation, some of these symbols 
we don't get because you, most of you in the room probably didn't grow up with a Hebrew scriptures and culture and certainly not in the first century. And so we, we've got to learn to understand some of this symbols and imagery in order to understand the scriptures. Another thing, the actual word revelation literally means, uh, in, in Greek, is apocalypsis, right? Uh, or that's where we get the word apocalypse, right? And we always think about that. It's like the end times, right? We look to Revelation to find the end times. But really, what's going to happen at the end is all through the New Testament, right? We, 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 that's not just like Revelation is our only kind of picture on that. If that's the case, then, then we're going to really have trouble understanding God's plan and, and his return. There's, it's all throughout the New Testament. Jesus talks about it a ton. But really the understanding of what apocalypse is, this Greek word means is to unveil, to uncover. So what this, this book is labeled, this, is, this revelation is, is about, is about making things clear to us, not making things more confusing. And so how do you be like, well, that's, that's a revelation for me because I thought it was just to make me confused and make me scared that Jesus is going to come back and I'm not going to be ready. And, and maybe that's how it's been preached to you, but, but, but I want to look at it really differently this morning, I want, I want to turn to Revelation 4. It's written by one of Jesus' apostles, most likely from um, uh, John, who wrote the, the Gospel of John, most likely. Um, most um, uh, theologians agree on that. So we're going to read verses 6 through 11, and I want to just digest um, this powerful, powerful text uh, here. Uh, John is experiencing like an open vision in which he's kind of an, experiencing like an out-of-body experience in which he is um, seeing this picture that he describes here. And this is really, John 4 really begins the beginning of his revelation of what he's experienced. So also in thro- front of the throne, there was um, what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center around the throne, there were four living Creatures and, and they were covered with eyes in front of in front and back. And the, the first living creature was like a lion, and the second was like an ox, and the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around and even under its wings. And day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who is and who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and by your will, they were created and have their being. Did you pick up on any of the imagery and symbolism throughout there, right? There's quite a few things. I want to talk about some of those and really lead us to, what does this mean for our lives? What does this mean for our lives? Well, the, the first one um, we see is these, these creatures, right? These living creatures, um, not dead. These aren't statues. These are, are living creatures, and they've got wings, but their faces are different, and there's eyes all over the wings. Does that creep anybody else out, right? It's just like the eyes is where it gets me. Like I can do like a different face on a different body, you know, Pegasus or like whatever, like those type of things, but like this one is, 
is weird. Pegasus, that's the wrong thing, whatever. You guys know what I'm talking about. Um, but, but there is something to this. This isn't the first time we've seen these four faces. Ezekiel chapter 1, one of the prophets, actually used these four faces. Ezekiel 4, or excuse me, Ezekiel 1, 6 through 10. He uses these four faces, and it's here like in the Old Testament to connect this old picture to this new picture. And I even think that you can connect this picture of these four faces to the creation accounts in Genesis 1-2. And let me explain why. Because each of these faces are representative. Theologians debate this, and so this is um, a, a discussion that gets uh, had across the world. But I, I think we actually overcomplicate this because the scripture, the, the revelation is not to make things more complex. It's actually to simplify things. And a, a lot of people will get up here and try to like tell you all these incredible, and maybe, maybe, Maybe. But I think there's a simplicity here that if we kind of start doing all this weird stuff, I I think we actually miss out on the true simplicity of what's being said here. Let me ask you a couple of questions. What is the greatest um, animal among the birds of the sky? Probably the eagle, we would probably generally say across the room. Uh, What about the cattle of the field? What's the greatest among the cattle? Would you possibly say the ox, the biggest, the strongest, strong-looking ox, right? Uh, what, what about among the wild beasts? What, did, what would you say is the greatest among the wild beasts? Probably the lion would be the first thing that, you know, survey says, you know, it'd probably be the lion. What about among intellectual beings and creatures? Man. So here's the four faces we get, that, that all of the greatest of creation, the strongest and the best of all creation, where are they found in John's revelation? Around the throne of God. Around the throne of God. They're all postured around the throne. And, and what have their worshipers, the, the greatest of God's creation in this picture are worshipers. We move on to verse 8, and that's where we start getting the imagery and the symbol of the eyes all over, which if you weren't creeped out by the creatures, the eyes do the trick. And, and we, we, we begin to understand and see that there's, there's underneath these wings and there's eyes everywhere. And I don't know about you. Have you ever gotten caught doing something maybe as a child or by a teacher today if you're in school? You got caught doing something you weren't supposed to be doing, and, and maybe it was mom, and, and you're like, how did you know that I was doing that? Do you have eyes in the back of your head or something, right? And what are we communicating when we use that idiom, when we use that phrase? Do you have some kind of sixth sense? Do you have some kind of intelligence? Can you see all around you? Are you perceptive of everything around you? And and if we begin to take that same idiom and, and, and think about all these eyes, that these beings, the greatest among every kind of creature of the sky and of the earth and of intelligent beings, every single one of them, it's now like at the very peak, not a wounded lion, the very peak of it, not um, a wounded um, uh, intellectual person, uh, but someone who has like... Can, can understand, you guys ever seen the movie Limitless? 
right? Or, or there's a TV show spinoff. And, and basically what it is, it's this guy who takes a pill. And like the, it said scientifically, we only use like 10% of our brain. So he takes this pill that allows him to use like 100% of his brain. And it basically is like having eyes all over his body. And he's got all, he's taking in everything. And his brain is just opened up. And it, it's like all of these creatures and created beings are at the very pinnacle and peak of of their existence, and what do they find themselves doing, worshiping around God's throne? It's like these superhuman, super intelligent, they've got everything going for them, beings in creation, are, are worshipers. What they have found most worthy to do with their time is to worship. And uh, day and night, Night and day, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the, the reality is that our inf- whatever our wisdom becomes, whatever our knowledge becomes in this day and age, and, and it's growing like parents in the room, your kids will be smarter than you are if they aren't already, right? Because we live in an information age. I'm just, I'm just, I mean, my son will come and ask me things. You know, it's like we're in second grade homework right now. And I'm like, bro, I don't know. Like, we got to get you a tutor or something because I, you've already passed me like with some of this common core stuff. We'll leave that discussion for another day, right? Um, but I've been just, uh, we live in an age of information where we have access to so much information and our intelligence is, is growing and, and our ability to, to, to know. And, um, but, but I think it, it, we would be wise to perceive and understand this, this image here. That at the very peak of humanity and the very peak of of animal beings and creatures that they're worshiping, that that we we never move past this place. And in fact, we can't even comprehend the greatness of God because they they begin to use um, this this three kind of repetition, holy, holy, holy. And if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard holy, holy, holy. And it's just like, okay, whatever. Um, Yeah, from the old song, holy, holy, holy. You've probably heard it in some Way, but in the Hebrew language, if you were to, to use the word holy twice or any word twice, it's for what? I mean, you probably guess it emphasis. Like, you just want to like, make sure you know, you know, communicating that. Well, when you use three, and it was very rare that three words would be used in succession to repeat them three times. You don't do that very often. So, when you do it a third time, you really, really, really mean it, right? And that's to, to, to say that, that God is, he's not just holy. He's not just like holy like every, like, a, like, like we're holy. He's not holy like any other God. He is holy among all. He is worthy above, above all. This, this word holy means set apart. It means utterly different, of a different kind. And if we think about the birth of Jesus when the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, so different. I mean, he had a different birth. It was a natural birth, but it was a supernatural birth. It wasn't just normal. It was a whole, it was set apart. It was utterly different. I mean, we could say it was holy, holy, holy type of birth. It was set apart and sacred and different. And when Jesus came, he lived in this earth. He lived 
Holy, holy, holy. He was humble and perfect and righteous in every way. Uh, in in uh, perfection that we can't even understand or comprehend. And this is what these beings, these creatures are gathered around. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's above every other to provide the greatest emphasis on this, that he is above every other being who was and is and is to come. And as we enter this Advent season, which Advent is this old Latin word, and it um, it's about like anticipation and expectation. And traditionally, we've attached this to the Christmas season and the birth of Christ. Originally, it wasn't um, connected to Christmas at all. Um, just a little known fact there. It was actually um, uh, attached to one of the seasons in the, in the local church and, their, and, the, and the harvest season. And, and they were expecting for the new harvest season to come along and, and they began to baptize people in that season. Like that, they were excited. They were anticipating for a baptism, baptism season and for the harvest season and just anticipating that. But we've made it about the birth of Christ and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I'm, I, I love to make it about that, but, but we're not really waiting on the birth of Christ. Like again, are we? Like he, he's not going to be, we're not going to have a little baby like show up again um, anytime soon. But what we are anticipating, what we are expecting, what we are waiting for is the return of Christ. He's not just one who was, he's not just one who is, but he is one who is to come. And so in this season, as we draw close to Christmas, let us draw close in prayer and hunger to see the face of Jesus. Face to face, like we know just in part now, we see dimly now, but one day we will know in full, even as we're fully known. And so I just encourage and challenge you, as these beings did, they're wow. Like they're just, they're moved by the incredible um, beauty of God. Every time they change the eyepiece of the kaleidoscope walking around, they look and it's the same thing. And it's, it's as if they... They never rest. Day and night, they say the same thing over and over again. They never rest in this, but there's, there's no unrest either. They seem settled and delighting to worship. I mean, I don't know about you. I can remember parts of my journey. Maybe some of you were there today as we were singing and uh, a lot of times we associate worship with singing, but, but worship is our, our whole life. But but in like our, our musical times of worship, and you're just kind of like, can we, can we get it over with? I'm ready for the word. I'm ready to go eat lunch. I'm, I don't know if you've ever had any of those emotions. Um, if you have, you're in good company. I've had those in the past. And, but these, these creatures, they don't get like that. They are settled. They are, they are happily content to worship for a million lifetimes as we sang about earlier, for a million lifetimes. Um, and it goes on, and we begin to get a couple of more images here in, in verse 8. And if you'll go back to or verse 9, excuse me, we'll go back to the text there. We see this imagery uh, of not just these creatures, but these elders. And if you look, these elders are actually responding to the worship of the creatures. They're responding to them giving glory 
and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives. The 24 elders, whenever the living creatures give glory, the others respond and follow suit. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and say, so who are the elders? Are the elders just people that were older than John at this time? Like, oh, there were just some elders there. No, is it, is it like a specific group? Well, theologians debate this and have fun conversation on this too. I believe the elders are representative of the church, the global church, the big C church. Um, and and we're responding, as we see these ultimate kind of of the created beings, and we follow suit, and they're worshiping, and we follow suit um, as his church. Um, Charles Spurgeon has an incredible quote I want to share with you today that I just think sums up this whole idea in a really profound way. Knowing angels should worship God should prompt our worship also. Do we have any less to praise him or thank him for? Do we sing as much as the birds do? Yet what do birds have to sing about compared with us? Do we sing as much as angels do? Yet they were never redeemed by the blood of Christ. Birds of the air, shall you excel me? Angels, shall you exceed me? You've done so, but I intend to emulate you. And day by day and night by night, pour forth my soul in sacred song. It's a powerful way to think about it. Like if the, the birds sing and worship to God, if, if, if angels are crying and singing holy, holy, holy nonstop, then they haven't even been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Like what, what, am, I, what am I doing in my life? Is my life being poured out from my soul in sacred song? And uh, there's a popular song these days um, that's uh, kind of become uh, well-known. It's on the radio stations a lot, and it's called uh, So Will I by, by the, uh, the church and the, the worship group Hillsong. Um, and they say this, if the, the stars were made to worship, this is one verse from the song, if the stars were made to worship, so will I. And if the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. And if the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. And if the wind goes where you send it, so will I. And if the, and if the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. And if the sum of all our praises still falls shy, then we'll sing again a hundred billion times. We'll just keep singing. God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty bringing Worship and honor to him who is worthy. So what does this mean for us today? Like this revelation that, that John had, like what's that mean for us today, especially in this season? Well, this season, as you know, is not about gifts and it's not about presents. It's about the Messiah who's come and, and he is worthy of our worship. At the core reason of why we worship, at the core reason of, of why we gather and, and why the Magi from the East came to bring gifts is because he is worthy. The last image we see in the text, and you can throw it back up, is these elders, they come and they bow down and they do what? They lay their crowns down. This was um, typical of the Roman Empire. This is a symbol of the time 
Um, the Roman emperor was the, like the king of all kings at that time. Um, and he had a lot of un- other kings underneath him. And it was customary at times that the, the, all these other like sub-kings would come and they would br- come to him and they'd lay on the crown and they'd, they'd set their, they'd, they'd bow down and they'd set their crowns on the ground. And, and, and you've heard this uh, from time to time where someone would, um, you know, pass away or, or they do something really extravagantly, genu- uh, like genuinely nice or like amazing. Like there's another crown in heaven for that one, like another, you know, another diamond in their crown. Or you've heard like maybe a phrase like that. Well, this idea is that they're coming and, and bowing down. What would be customarily what would take place is that the king would instruct them to pick up their crown and put it back on. It was just a custom to say, I know where my victory came from. I know where my power, I know where my authority comes from. It doesn't come from me. And I actually, I, sub- I submit myself under the, like the, the greatest king, the king of all kings. And this speaks to us today to come and to bring God all of our worship. Because he is the one who is worthy. And here's what they said when they lay their crowns down right after that. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things. Creatures of the sky, human beings. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. The Magi, one of those mirrors, one of those glimpses we get of the Christ child, um, they were men of influence. They, I mean, like kings invited, you know, them to come and tell them what to do. Like, hey man, tell me what to do. They came from far. They were paid a healthy wage to do so. Uh, these were men that, that traipsed around the countries just to go. They didn't go by happen chance. They went because they had been studying they had been studying the stars and they had perceived, I mean, these were the, of their time, they were the ones with eyes all over them to connect the symbolism there. They were the ones who, who people sought after to understand their intelligence and their wisdom and, and their knowledge. And what did these most influential and intelligent and wise men of the time do? They, they found the baby worthy as a Messiah, the king to come and to lay their gifts, to travel from afar, like far east, to come all the way there. I mean, a long, long travel to get there and to lay their gifts at his feet, to, to recognize his authority and his dominion even over their own influence to lay it down. In a different manner, the shepherds in the field, another glimpse, another mirror that we get in the scriptures of lowly position, the lowest, the lowest in society. I don't know what that would be in your frame of reference today. Like what would be kind of lowest in society, occupation-wise, but, but that's what these shepherds were. And, and God brought like an angelic representation to draw them and invite them to the table. Invite them to the table just like these magi would come and find Christ Worthy to come around his throne that was a bed made in a manger in a hollowed out cave. Like they all came 
to worship, and, and, and we were created to worship too. And so it, maybe it's oversimplistic today, but take it as that. Take it as that simple that we were created to worship. We should never grow tired of worship. We should, every time we look into God's word, every time we come together, every time we wake up and see a sunrise, just listen and, and, and then respond in worship. It just every morning you wake up, lay down the crown and let him pick it back up and say, I've given you victory. Victory is only through me. Strength is only through me. But, but wear it proudly. Walk in the strength that you've been given. I've given you authority to walk in power. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It doesn't matter what angle you look at it from. My prayer is that God would raise us up to be worshipers, to be worshipers, not just in this moment and in this time we gather, but to be living a life of worship that we would follow this example, this image that we see in Revelation 4. That as we grow, as we develop, as we mature, yeah, we, yeah, but we never get past this awe of who God is, that he is holy, he is God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He's worthy of all glory and honor. I want to ask you to stand today. I want to pray for you. Uh, and we're going to have a few moments to pray. There's going to be some people at the crosses. And I would, if you, if you need prayer over a specific area, I would, I would just uh, encourage you just to find yourself uh, a prayer partner to pray with today. And let's just take this time to, to do what happens in, in really in John's image to worship, to find ourselves as worshipers this morning. Maybe pressing past the point of our comfort and, and, and maybe our traditional kind of veins of that just to, to seek his face and to thank him for his goodness and to crown him above all kings, king of all kings, worthy above all. God, we thank you for this time. I thank you for a moment, God, for us to just open the scriptures and maybe ones that have been traditionally confusing for us and maybe at an odd time of year for some. But God, I, I pray that we would open this and see the simplicity of the message. God, the same thing that the, the magi and the shepherds did to come and, and bring glory and honor to the Christ child, the Messiah. God, may we do it as well. The same thing the beast and the elders all found themselves at your feet. God, may we find ourselves in that place today too. Intimately worshiping you and never growing tired of worship. Never growing tired of declaring your greatness. God, we thank you for this time and we declare you are holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Let's worship.